Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows on Extra 106.3. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is the president of Georgia College and State University, Kathy Cox. Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. It is good to be with you. It is nice to see the architecture of this university. It's just beautiful. It is beautiful. Very historic and charming and dates to the late 1800s or mid 1800s actually some of it when this was founded as the first public women's college in Georgia in 1889 that was why I chose to get my MBA here I heard there were I heard it was a women's college and they were letting men in well we still have more women than men but uh, that's we've, a, been, we've been co-ed since the 1960s that's a good selling feature it is I don't know that you could put that on any official propaganda, but you can list male, female, things like that. I think you guys, if you want to increase the male enrollment, that's probably not a bad way to go. Well, women are beating men uh, almost across the board in almost every university in Georgia today, across the country too. Uh, That doesn't, you know, once you know a couple of them, you realize they're probably smarter than you are. So that's for free to all the men out there who think that we're the superior race. Not, it's not really even close. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, it's easy. My daughter, would she would be mad at me if I didn't acknowledge that. Thank you very much. Well, Kathy, where did you grow up? I grew up down in very deep South Georgia, a little town of Bainbridge, which is affectionately called a suburb of Tallahassee, Florida. We're just across the border from Tallahassee. So it's you and Kirby Smart. Are you guys going to run for city council in oh, 25 yeah. years? I'm, I'm all about Kirby. Watched him grow up and play high school football. His uh, dad moved to Bainbridge to coach football with my brother-in-law. So we've been watching Kirby and been Kirby fans since way back. Well, if you are a Georgia fan at all, I'm just going to tell you, he's still pretty young as far as coaches go. And so enjoy the days that you have because everybody else is really jealous. Yes, yes. We love Kirby. Well, talk, talk about, so you've done a lot of things. You are the president of probably the most beautiful campus in the state of Georgia. You have a career. You've run statewide elected campaigns a couple of times. You have a law degree. Public service appears to be something that pulls on you. Where does that come from? Well, I have a defective DNA that comes straight from my father, who was in politics from as almost far back as I can remember. When I was in elementary school, he was a city council member. I learned how to campaign. Uh, My mom would put my sisters and me out on the street, tell us to knock on every door, hand people a card, and ask them to vote for my dad. And uh, we learned campaigning, literally, in elementary school. With your tennis shoes, door-to-door, what are your concerns? We might have been barefoot. I don't know. But <laughs> in, in South Georgia summers. How, how many, uh, how long did he do it? Oh, um, gosh, he was on the city council for a term or two. He was mayor 
uh, for at least one term, and then he ran for the legislature when I was in high school and served uh, 16 years until he passed away. I imagine everybody's proud of their parents, especially when you look at accomplishments and things in public service. And Georgia was a different day, in a different day and time. When you look at some of the things that got you interested in it, what were some of the successes or, you know, we're not going to pretend like we don't want shots back. What, what are some of the memories that you have from him that really pulled on you to be like, I think I have this in my DNA? Well, he, uh, he was always involved in helping people. And I didn't necessarily understand what people wanted when they came to see him. We grew up in, I grew up in Cox Funeral Home. He was a funeral director and people came to the funeral home. Oh, he knew everybody. He knew everybody in their family tree. Um, And I didn't appreciate that as a child. I certainly do now. People came and sat on the front porch of the funeral home and talked to him about something to do with state government. I often would sit in the rocking chairs and listen um, without fully understanding, but knowing they needed him to make calls to Atlanta to figure out something. It could be a driver's license problem. It could be something that they didn't know how to figure out on their own, and he could solve their problems, and they were always very grateful that he could cut through red tape and bureaucracy to figure out something that was really disturbing them. So I came to see uh, in my view, the good side of public service. Oh, it's the only pure. I, I don't take anything away from the people who do the General Assembly or statewide office for all the right reasons. The only purity left in this country might be found on Main Street. It's not the, it's not the Wall Street politics. Where did you go to school? Um, well, of course, I grew up in Bainbridge and went to Bainbridge Public Schools, um, which, you know, in Bainbridge, uh, Decatur County school system, there's one high school, one middle school, you know everybody. I decided coming out of high school that plant science was going to be my life. I went to uh, Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College and got my two-year degree in agriculture. That sounds very Southwest Georgia. It was. Um, it still is. And, uh, and later when I first ran for office, there were, I ran my ads showing me out in the peanut field under the irrigation system, you know touting my agriculture degree. After I interned at Callaway Gardens and pulled weeds in 100-degree weather next to PhDs in botany, I decided that having a job, maybe, you know, with a little air conditioning involved wouldn't be a bad thing. From time to time. From time to time. So when I transferred to the University of Georgia, I changed my major to journalism. became a newspaper reporter. Went to work in Gainesville, Georgia at the Times, and uh, got the job that nobody really wanted, which is the police reporter. Having sat in local government, I will tell you, because I would get summaries of the police reports every week. And when you look at, I'm, it, unless you see them every week, and I just get a summary of them. I mean, you have no idea what people in your own, I don't care how nice your town is, you, don't, you have no idea. Yes, well, my mother worried about me chasing, you know, fire trucks and ambulances and police and sheriff all over the county in the middle of the night with a police scanner, but to go to murder scenes and car wrecks and fires, um, there was a lot to write about, to tell you the truth. But it was mostly friends and family killing each other. Yeah, um, as it usually is. Still, <laughs> some things are ever It was not true. random crime. Especially in the South. Yep. So I told my mom not to worry. Nobody knew me, so I was, uh, I was safe. But it was fascinating and, um, and that's what ultimately led me back to law school, because I had to cover not just the crime, but the court part 
of a defendant charged with a crime, and I, I was intrigued by it, but lost uh, and ignorant about how to write about things that happened in the judicial system. I didn't know the language. I didn't know what happened. There were no lawyers in my family, and that's what kind of pivoted me back toward going to law school. Do you consider yourself a recovering attorney today, or are you still very much in the weeds of legal proceedings? Yes, I'm still an active member of the State Bar of Georgia and have been since I earned that degree. I felt like I earned it and I wanted to keep it. So, um, And, I, you know, I tell even students here today who want to go to law school, it, it's the most flexible graduate degree because it's a degree in critical thinking and problem solving, and I use it every day every week in every job I've ever had. Well, and as someone in public service, I'm sure the performance aspect of it occasionally didn't bother you that much. You do learn to think on your feet, um, and public speaking has always been a part of the jobs I've had, so I think that certainly has helped. But more than anything, it's about the problem-solving analytical skills you learn in law school that I think have been really helpful in the non-traditional jobs I've had for a lawyer. As you evaluate law school and you eventually find your own way into public service, how, does, how do those events transpire and what ultimately get you there? Well, I went into a traditional private practice instead of going back to a newspaper, which was my original goal when I enrolled, but um, I didn't know what lawyers did. You know, there weren't any lawyers in my family, um, and so once I got into law school and found out that lawyers write all the time, hey, I thought, you had that. Uh, you know, hey, I can write and maybe make a little more money than a newspaper reporter. So I went to work in Atlanta for a large firm um, in downtown Atlanta. And really learn to do things the right way at a big firm that uh, has clients that can afford to pay you well to do things to perfection in a good way and met great lawyers who were great mentors to me. And uh, and I'm glad I was able to start my practice that way. When my dad was um, diagnosed with cancer, I decided that I wanted to go back home for his terminal illness. So I went back to small town South Georgia practice and became the first woman lawyer in uh, Bainbridge and 10 surrounding counties, in fact. Had, had never had a woman lawyer. Which might be half the state of Georgia. <laughs> a big swath of it, for sure. And, um, and because there had never been a woman lawyer, there was all this demand uh, by women who wanted to hire a woman to represent them in family law matters, which, of course, I had not done in Atlanta. But that uh, shifted my practice a lot. And so in a, in a small-town practice, you really do a little of everything that walks in the door. Uh, but I did a lot of divorce, child support, um, custody, family law matters. But you also do wills, real estate. Adoptions. Adoptions, uh, a little criminal law, a little literally everything that walks in the door, which I'm glad I had that experience because the breadth of a general practice in a small town has served me well in the other jobs I've had since then. Were you a planning and zoning lawyer at times too? Or uh, yeah, sure. I've done a lot of uh, <laughs> zoning work and understand uh, the nuances of that as well. What if you had to, you just ran through a dozen, which ones, if you had to just pick one and only do one, what would it be? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed a, a lot of it, but I loved appellate work, obviously, because I liked the writing so much. So I liked brief writing because that was intensive 
writing and then oral argument in front of our appellate courts was a combination of things I thought I had strengths. I don't, I, I don't imagine you have had the opportunity to do what you've done by skipping out on details. No, all are very detail-oriented jobs. Then that's not me. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad there are people like you out there. So you, your father has failing health. You're a big-time lawyer in a small town, although you, I'm sure you didn't necessarily feel like that all the time. And, and you run for a seat in the General Assembly. Was that just kind of a dream come true for you? Did you always want to do it? Was it just the right set of circumstances? And, and talk about the years, because the Democrat Party of, of those days, is, it has, they, they, both of the parties have changed tremendously. Know that you had a very close relationship with Zell Miller, a guy I think a lot of, and Roy Barnes, whose daughter went to Samford, and Sam Nunn, who my father is a retired Marine, would tell you is probably his favorite member of the United States Senate of all time, and my father is extremely conservative. The Democrat Party of those days are people and issues that I identify with. What, which of those issues really, you know, we're not going to, we don't hide from who we are. You ran as a Democrat. You're still very proud. What are the issues that you saw at the time that really made you go in that direction? And the, and the issues of the day in Georgia that you felt uniquely qualified to tackle? Well, more than anything, I think I was influenced by my father's brand of, of politics, which was really not partisan. Um, and I think it goes back to probably, as, as you and I had discussed earlier, his, his work in city government. You know, it, it was not partisan. It was about getting the job done. The potholes are not Republican. <laughs> That's right. It's about serving your constituents more than anything and being responsible and accountable to your your constituents and your voters. It's not about being partisan. And he was, I guess, if you had to frame him, as you were describing, um, a pretty conservative Democrat or a yellow dog Democrat, as, as I think they called them in those days. I still am one, which, yeah. which might make me a Republican now, but that's neither here nor there. And, and you know, and, and I felt like when I was in the legislature, I wanted to be responsible to my corner of the state, you know. So the committees, for example, that I signed up for were game, fish, and parks. South Georgia is big hunting territory. So, you know, I, I knew I needed to be on that kind of committee to handle hunting regulations. I did work for the DNR uh, on all of their annual hunting kind of regulations. None of those things I would be even remotely qualified to even tackle. Well, that matters to Southwest Georgia folks who, who like to go hunting. And, uh, and I understand responsible hunting regulations and responsible gun ownership. For a Democrat, people think that can't, those are mutually exclusive kind of things. Not but in the South. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I was on state institutions and properties because there are a lot of state institutions around my district and that kind of thing. So uh, for me, it was much more about what was responsive to my district, as well as, I think, knowing the way I was raised, and that maybe that goes back to the funeral director genes, but I like people. And, you know, I wasn't elected, I think, to go up there and take sides on partisan issues as much as I wanted to get to know people. And I, 
I think over the years that I served in the legislature and even as Secretary of State, I developed good friendships on the Republican side of the aisle and the Democratic side of the aisle because I was I tried to be more interested in getting to know who my colleagues were as individuals. Well, I told you on the way in this morning, I spoke to Casey Cagle, who said, oh, she is a great lady. Tell her I said hello. And I, he, there, are, there are people on his own party he will not say that about. Uh, so Thank you. He's kind, of my, he's kind of my barometer of whether or not somebody's a decent, decent person. Uh, and trust me, he... He has his he has his political way of telling you if somebody's not, but he had nothing but nice things to say about you. Thank you, I appreciate that very much. As you decide, as you evaluate, so you sat in the general assembly for two terms. Yes. What next? This was um, early, early days of the internet, and it was really killing me to try to practice law uh, full time and be in the legislature two hundred and fifty miles away um, when you really could not by virtual means, maintain your law practice. So I, pre-internet days, and, um, you know, into my second term, I realized that this was sort of killing me to try to practice law full-time and serve in the legislature 250 miles away and do all the constituent service that was a daily matter to take up probably half your day in a small town for very little money. I sort of thought I need to figure out how to do this either some way full-time or just get out and just devote myself to my law practice. And a lot of things changed on the state level in those days in state politics. Max Cleland, Secretary of State, had resigned to run for Senate, to become Senator. Um, Zell Miller appointed Lewis Massey as Secretary of State. I had, Lewis had been an aide to Pierre Howard as lieutenant governor. I knew him. We weren't best buddies or anything like that, but Lewis, um, sort of out of the blue, called me and asked if I would be interested in serving as his assistant secretary of state. And uh, it was one of those things that just struck me at the right time, at the right place. And I said, yes, I'll do that. And so I gave up my seat at the end of my second term and uh, moved back to Atlanta uh, full-time to become Assistant Secretary of State. You probably made more than $12,000 a year doing that. I did. I did. <laughs> it was the only way it would work. Yes. And a lot of people didn't understand that. You know, why would you give up a seat in the legislature? But it was... If you do it right, it's. Ex- it, it, I, I say it's expensive. It costs you a lot of money. It does. And it, it was just a, a, a lot of lawyers. There have been a diminishing number of lawyers in the legislature, which some people celebrate, um, I th- you need a few. I think, I think lawyers contribute positively, for the most part, to the lawmaking process. But it's hard to maintain a law practice because the legislature is, takes a lot of your time, and it took a lot of my time. But anyway, I moved uh, back to Atlanta and became Assistant Secretary of State. Two years down the road, Lewis decides to run for governor, and people say, well, who's going to run for Secretary of State? And I raised my hand. It, it was like they set you up to begin with? Sort of, uh, in retrospect. Um, but again, no woman had ever run statewide for this office. I didn't have money, but I knew I could do the job better than anybody else that would run. Um, and so I threw my hat in the ring. And um, I think, again, going back to the fact that I had tried to develop good relationships in the legislature, 
I never felt like the Republican Party put up a strong opponent against me. Uh, and in fact, over the course of that campaign, um, I, I felt like I had a decent amount of Republican support of people who thought I would do the job they call them from a pers- they call nonpartisan them per- way. They call them persuadable voters. Yes. There, there are still some of us out there. As you look, and you did that two terms. Yes, and uh, in 1998 and 2002. When you look at, you ran for governor, when you make the decision to do that, what pulled at you in a way that wasn't necessarily about elections or businesses or the general assembly where you have two or three or four things that you really care about? Like, What's the attitude that you have to have in order to put your name on the ballot to be the CEO and CMO for the, the state of Georgia? Well, I, I came to see over those eight years of serving as Secretary of State, you see that in Georgia, we have a pretty powerful governor's office. Very. Um, and that very impactful decisions get made in the governor's office, decisions that really do influence life, the quality of life, the quality of the business climate in Georgia, um, really do come from decisions the governor gets to make and that policy matters really do generate uh, in a positive way from the governor's office. And I felt like I could really drive some positive change in the governor's office. We were obviously from 2002 on uh, when um, Sonny Perdue had become the first Republican governor. We were very much shifting toward a different partisan dynamic uh, between Democrats and Republicans. And I felt like maybe I could show that Democrats and Republicans could work together uh, because the four years from 2002 to 2006 uh, became pretty bitter uh, between the two parties. And I wanted to show there's still some hope that the parties could work together. So I ran actually as a Democrat with a Republican as my campaign chairman to try to show that, hey, there's a way to do this in a different Uh, from a different perspective. A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Let's assume for two seconds that we agree on that strategy. And it didn't work. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's only one person that ultimately wins and everybody else goes home with an L. Is there anything about that? Not that you would change what you would do. Not that I would ever change who I wanted to be moving forward. I, if, if I lost, like I might be inconsolable for a little while. I, whatever. I can, I'm, it's always fine, right? Did, did you look at that and think that the country had changed? Because it's not the state. Did you feel like the country had changed in the wake of 9-11? or the issues of the day with the Bush administration and some of the issues that trickle down from the top because what we do in Georgia and how we vote in Georgia matters. And, you, and all that stuff's really great. 
But when you start to put your thumb on the scale in Washington, D.C., and you start dealing with the issues in the mainstream media, who doesn't talk about you? If you are the Secretary of State and you've run a statewide office, you may know how big Georgia is. You still live in relative anonymity. I'll be honest with you. I think it is morning in America. I always do. My business in 2023 is great. My business in 2024 will be even better. That's me. That's my attitude. But it's not what we get sold, and it's not what we've been sold for the last 20 years. If you're a Republican and a Democrat is in power, it's kind of doom and gloom, fear-mongering, and that sort of thing. And it's not healthy, but it's reality. In, in the same way that if a Republican is in office, the Democrats are crying about everything that is wrong with everything. Never mind the fact that everybody could be rich, fat, and happy. It's still it's something has changed in this country in the last 20 years. And I really wanted to ask you this question because I knew that about who you had hired and the message that you wanted to move forward with. And to be honest with you, I would do the same thing. And I might lose. Did you get outflanked by the left in that primary? Is that what it was? Um, yeah. I mean, that, the, the fact that I had a Republican chairman was absolutely used against me in the primary um, and, and I think contributed a lot to my loss in the primary. You know, of my opponent saying she's not a real Democrat. See, she's got a Republican uh, chairing her campaign. And so, you know, there were people who tried to persuade me to run as an independent to try to just circumvent the whole primary system. And that's great, but it wouldn't work. But I don't think it would have worked. It wouldn't work today, which is sad. Nice theory. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Maybe one day. I'd be excited. So that you confirmed what I... What I thought, it's amazing how simple it all breaks down to, regardless of how pure your intentions are. As to it, when it all comes out in the wash, there's the red pill, there's the blue pill, and that's all. That's it. And, and it's sad. It is sad. And I, I do think Washington politics have certainly influenced Georgia for many, many years. I, I never had an interest in going to Washington because of what I saw as the brokenness in Washington for so long. Um, of things that just weren't getting done. Well, there's no results, and everybody's guilty. That's the truth. As you look, you, you've watched every side of the coin at this point argue about immigration, and they don't care because they don't want to fix it. And I think that's what Zell Miller saw when he was appointed to the Senate, um, you know, and he wrote the book, A National Party No More, and and just he was a get-it-done kind of governor, you know. He was very results-oriented, and he got to the Senate as one of... A hundred. A hundred. Really, 51. Yeah. You just, <laughs> you don't get to have any control over those outcomes, and I think he was so frustrated with that kind of system. When he switched parties, because I can't interview him. He didn't really ever switch. No, but he did. I mean, he I... He quit caucusing, I think, he, you know. When, when you look at the, the – Joan Carr is a very good friend of mine. One of – I – of all the people that I've had on the show, I've had bigger names. I don't know that I've had a smarter person. And to work for him and, you know, Johnny Isaacson, who I imagine you would never confirm this, but I imagine you probably pulled the lever for that guy a time or oh, two. Oh, I loved him. I loved him. We were very good friends. As you look um, – does that change? We can disagree on the big issues. But you're not wrong about everything like I'm not wrong about everything. Absolutely. And I think that 60% of us sit in the same party. <laughs> well, what do we have to do to mobilize and fix it? <laughs> because I'm sick. I am sick of it. As somebody who's run statewide 20 years ago for governor, are there answers 
to the question that I have because I'm tired of fighting about voting rights and guns and unborn kids because in 20 years, I don't want to be fighting about those three things, and I'm scared to death that we will be. Yeah, I, I fear that. I fear that as well. Um, it is so frustrating to have been in office and, and to have been, in my view, results-oriented because I never felt like I was worthy of asking for a re-election if I, ha- if I couldn't show that I've done something to be deserving of your vote for another term. But now... What, what do people have to show for, well, for that's, uh, what a, it, another term, I saw, except that I stood up and resisted everything? Chip Roy, who is a Republican congressman from Texas, sat in the well a couple weeks ago and said, in the last two years, this Republican Congress has given me absolutely nothing to go home and campaign on. Nothing. And I was like, well, damn, we ought to find, we got to figure out where to put him. And, and they'll just shut him up. I want to transition now into life. So for all of you who run a race and ultimately lose, so did Kathy, and it was fine, and life moved on. How did you find yourself at a place where you wanted to get into education and academia and the faculty lounge as the right calls you now? Well, I did not pursue it. Uh, It found me very, uh, I guess, the serendipity of it. After I lost that election, I was anticipating I would go back to practice law. Uh, I was talking back to that law firm in Atlanta that I had left. Uh, I didn't know exactly what I would do, but I was looking at everything under the sun, except maybe education, but because of two sisters I have in education, never expected I would be in education. And I um, honestly got a call from out of the blue one afternoon at the state capitol from the late Burt Lance, who was Jimmy Carter's uh, OMB director, if you remember. And he, um, I'd gotten to know him over the years in politics, and he uh, happened to be a trustee at Young Harris College. His father had been the president of Young Harris College. Beautiful uh, part of the state. When Zell Miller's father was the dean. And so Burt Lance and Zell Miller grew up as children on the campus of Young Harris College. And he said, uh, we're looking for a president, and we want to talk to you. And I said, are you you sure? (laughs) You really must have the wrong number. Um, And I said to him, quote, I have a JD, not a PhD. He paused, and he said, well, you have a D, so we want to talk to you. And uh, I thought he must be out of his mind. I hung up and I called uh, some a friend of mine who was the president at Wesleyan College, who I, I was a trustee at Wesleyan at the time. My mother went to Wesleyan. And I said, what in the world is going on at Young Harris? Why are they looking for a president? And she said, well, they had a president that didn't fit. You ought to think about it. She was a lawyer. They already stacked the deck against you. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I guess because it's a Methodist-affiliated school, the Lord had a hand in it. And so um, I thought about it. They were going through this long search process, and uh, I wasn't—I really wasn't sure. Um, meanwhile, the University of Georgia Law School called and said, we want you to teach in this chair named for Carl Sanders. And I said, well, that sounds interesting. And um, so I went ahead and agreed to do that while this Young Harris thing played out. And they had a search firm at Young Harris. They were very much against me. Oh. They said, you're very non-traditional. I don't think the faculty will like you. If they don't like you, the trustees will not hire you. 
but they kept inviting me back. And um, long story short, they were wrong. They were wrong, and the trustees hired me with no administrative experience to be president of Young Harris. In the end, um, clearly they were looking for somebody with some different skills. As they said, they were over having ministers for president. Sure. They were ready to move the school from a two-year to a four-year model, and they wanted somebody with some different backgrounds, money-raising ability, uh, and some skills that I would never have thought were applicable in the long run. It's a lot um, like running for governor. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um, But uh, it gave me a great opportunity to become immersed in the liberal arts experience and build what um, we all believed was a great liberal arts experience of going from two to four years is very much like building a college from scratch uh, from all of the different ways you have to think from accreditation and programmatic, faculty, staff, facilities, everything. So it, I was there for 10 years, which... It's not a bad place to have to spend was a years. wonderful opportunity to really understand higher education. And so from there, you transfer to a school that I have respect for as a little sister to Samford in the Southern Conference, Mercer. And you were working, you were the dean of the law school, correct? That's right. Well, I don't know what any of that, I, I, I don't know that I could spell all of that. What, what drew you to Mercer from, from the opportunity you had as the president at Young Harris? You know, I, I, after 10 years at Young Harris of putting that campus through a lot of change, I, I, when the Mercer offer came, and, and I went, I'm a Mercer alum, I, that's where I went to law school. Go Bears. Go Bears. That's maybe the only place that would have ever attracted me to leave Young Harris because I, I loved it. I still love it. But I also thought maybe 10 years is a good time yeah. to book in something. I, like, like you've said earlier, I don't think you should stay in one place Better to leave when they want you to stay than to stay when they want you to go. Um, And so I thought maybe for the the change that Young Harris still needs to go through, maybe it's time for a new leadership there. Maybe I need to move into another role. And so the Mercer opportunity was a a nice change, I thought, at the time. Is it still a religious school? Mercer? Yeah. Um, Mercer still uh, very much honors their Baptist heritage, but they... Had, they left the SBC. I was actually a Mercer trustee when they broke away from the Southern Baptist Convention. See, I, as a Samford guy, like we're one of the only ones hanging on, and I don't think, I actually think they'll lose a bunch of money if they ever left because they're kind of a legacy one. Them, Baylor, there's so few that are left that it's honestly like they'll really hurt you if you leave at this point. So, Mercer, Mercer lost some money too, but they decided that it was. I don't know what Sanford's endowment is, but I think it's like two or three hundred million dollars. And and then ultimately the job opens up here, where I got my master's. I did the Web MBA program. To be honest with you, I think it still costs about the same as it did when I did it. I was not a great student in undergrad, although I love my alma mater. I was, I mean, that's not even fair to say to people who aren't great students. I was a terrible student, and I applied and went through the process in the program. And I learned more in the web MBA program than I did in four and a half years because I was actually, I cared. Yeah. yeah. And and I had two little kids and I was like, look, if I'm going to figure out how to like actually run my own small business, I ought to 
take $25,000 and actually learn how to run it right. Mm-hmm. Good. And, and so I grew up, you have two little kids at home and you start taking on advanced degrees. You grow up, I hate to say that because some people say I never will, but I, uh, so I have a degree from the, from Georgia College and State University. Talk about the, uh, talk about the university today, the benefits We've already discussed that it's very female dominated. I don't say I don't say dominated in a bad way. I say that guys, if you're looking coming to school, sixty percent women. I mean, guys, that's like throwing a rock in the lake. Come look at it. Talk about talk about GCSU. It, it's such a such a phenomenal university, um, and and after being at Mercer, I, I realized how much I missed being on a a really strong liberal arts campus. I love being in a residential setting where students live here. They're, you see them at their good and bad. You're around freshmen who want to explore the whole world and oh God. Uh, you know change the world for the better. Um, you really get to know students from the get-go on a campus of this size have about uh, a total of about 6,800 students, about 1,100 graduate students, and so 5,700 undergraduate students or so, small enough where you really can know people by name and by background and by interest. But And they know if you miss class? Oh, definitely. Our professors would know if you miss class because... What, what is fascinating, yeah. <laughs> Back to 1996, when Georgia College was designated as the state's public liberal arts university, uh, the state gave this institution an infusion of money so that they could hire enough faculty to have a dramatically lowered student-to-faculty ratio and have a lot of schools talk about, oh, we have small classes. We really have small classes, what and, is it, 12 to 1? Well, if you look at everything, it's probably still in the neighborhood of 14 to 15 to 1. That's not a lot. But that's not a lot. But what I think is more telling is that less than 2% of our classes have more than 50 students anywhere at right. any level. We don't even have classrooms that can hold 100 or 200 students, whereas the model for most universities today is that the first two years of your education, you're going to be packed like a sardine in a big lecture hall with a couple of hundred students and sit there, you know, hoping you keep your eyes open and take notes in a big lecture hall. We don't, we don't do education like that. This is a very high-touch, hands-on form of education where even your freshman and sophomore classes, your core curriculum classes are going to be in small settings. So you will be talking to your professors, not graduate students. You will be engaging with your classmates. You will be learning from each other. You will do a lot of talking and writing in those first two years, not just regurgitating lectures back on a test. It's a very experiential form of learning, which students really love. And we're now one of the three selective admission universities in the university system of Georgia. So we get to set high admission standards, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and Georgia College. We're the only three that get to set high admission standards. All the other 23 schools in the system 
have sort of a baseline GPA for admission. So it's difficult to get admitted here. But the best students want, and, and from 96 when we were designated as this form of a liberal arts campus, the regents knew the best students were leaving the state to get this. If they don't want to go to a big football school, they're looking for this kind of education. And since 96, for the last 27 years, we've been really perfecting this kind of a liberal arts campus where you get liberal arts has nothing to do with liberal versus conservative. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. It's a diverse educational experience. That's right. It's a very broad educational experience. So whether we're talking about a nursing program or an MBA or a marketing degree, you're going to get this broad base uh, educational experience here that we think is even more relevant for the complex world these graduates are going to go out and take charge of. So I'm going to ask you a question for the guys who just always want to know, and my brother told me I should ask this. There is no football program here, and I don't think that's going to change. Do you ever see Georgia College and State University as a Division One school? Uh, no, N-O, no. Well, you know, the NCAA is, um, is going through a whole reorganization right now. Very much so. Um, and who knows what ultimately is going to happen with the Power Five. It's the, sad. The NCAA president has come out with some proposals uh, just recently that would kind of restructure the Power Five from, a, from another kind of D1. The that, Georgia Southern class. Yeah, of, exactly. Yep. Um, that might make D1 more palatable than it's been. And, and, you know, very recently, West Georgia has just gone up from D2 to D1. Um, but I'm a big believer in D2 sports. In fact, Georgia College has had the number one, number one graduation rate of all NCAA Division II public universities in the United States of America for three consecutive years. The APR, and if it's not high, they'll punish you. Yes, but we believe in that student-athlete model. Our student-athletes are phenomenal individuals. I wrote a letter of recommendation yesterday for one of our volleyball uh, team members who just graduated. She's working back on her master's right now. She wants to become a PA she will be a phenomenal physician's assistant. Yeah, you know how to, you, if, you, if you take the athletic academic experience as a scholarship athlete, and you know what it means to wake up at 6 a.m. as an 18-year-old and go run and work out, and you know what it means to practice and go study, I guarantee you you're getting a worker. Yes, the captain of our basketball team a year ago got recruited to work for the Federal Reserve in Denver. I mean, these are super smart, super disciplined, phenomenal yep. young men and women. And most people do not have that gear. Exactly. It has. It, that's not. That's not even about talent. Athletic talent. That's about. It takes a special person to wake up at 19 years of age at 6 a.m. and know that that's when the day starts because that's when it starts. They are. They have unbelievable work ethic, focus, discipline, ambition drive everything you want to hire in your workplace. Well, my last question for you is this. What do you want to be when you grow up? I feel like you've done everything. Oh, there's still time, you know. Um, I, I am living the dream um, on a campus like this. Uh, I, I think this, 
Georgia College has so much to offer young men and women of Georgia who I think will change the world for the better. And to be able to have some little impact on what we can offer them and the, the skills, the knowledge, the preparation we can give them to go out and, and influence the world for the better, uh, I think is, is the most challenging thing I could ever hope to do. Well, you still have political answers in your uh, in in your toolbox, so I commend you on never losing the gift of being able to. I will always be interested in politics, but from the moment I set foot on a campus, I, I gave up partisan politics. Absolutely. Well, it, the best Chris Carr gave me the best answer to that question that I have ever gotten. He said, "You know what? I want to be a ice crab fisherman." And I was like, "Well, that's a long way from being an attorney general." He goes, "I've always wanted to do it." With all this is behind me, that's I'm I'm going. He's like, and he he looked at Joan and goes, "I'm going." <laughs> so, Ooh, this is that's not in my bucket list. No, but hey, I I, I commend him. It's like you know what I I I could I, I kind of see the the arc of where it all is and where it's all going to go. He's like, I think I want to do that. I was like, good for you, man. Go go take your education, your political background, and use none of it. Well, President Cox, thank you for your time today. I have really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk to you. I'm starting to get to a place where I've got more Democrats that are coming on the show now. So that's really what I've honestly wanted to do. And kudos to Derek Chitwood from Peach State Pride, who has to be one of your brand ambassadors. Uh, He's such a super guy. Super Uh, guy. And what a successful business. And they have nice stuff. Yes. So thank you for making time for me. This has been another episode of The Ben Burnett Show. We'll see you guys next week. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.